Hello and welcome to another episode of the Theo Keeps Talking podcast, where you may laugh or you may learn, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. My name is Theo, and the most important question of the day, how are you all doing? Wow, it has been a little minute. Last episode, I unleashed all of my basketball hot takes, and today is the continuation, so if you're interested in the precursor to today's episode, check that out when you get a chance. Today is my favorite kind of episode. It's all overreactions and hot takes and just flow of consciousness. (laughs) The NBA season is officially over, so of course, it's time to let the takes loose. For the recommendation section today, wow, I got some got some heat. I was right about taking a break between episodes because, man, my recommendations are fuego today. We got Summer by Careless, Clutch by Coltrane featuring Kiana Lede, Fun Fact by El Hay featuring Rick Ross, Star Signs by Odunsi featuring Runtown, Separated by El Hay, and Time For Me by Migos, just all fire, all heat. Um, also listen to um, ah, the the Smiley and Drake song. And what I got to say is Smiley just, he has to have some dirt on Drake that we don't know about. Like there's got to be something nefarious going on because just what was that? Drake put up putting up, you know, his usual 35.7 rebounds, you know, just his his usual. But some, what was that? It was so bad that on Twitter earlier I saw that there was a version of the song <laughs> that didn't have Smiley on it. It was just Drake. And I was like, "Hey, this is kind of hot, you know." <laughs> but that's just how it be. Um for shows I haven't really done much TV shows necessarily since the last episode, but I watched Mayor of Easttown, which was wild. Um, HBO Max got some some shows that'll make your jaw drop for sure. I'm like, what is going on here? But I never realized just how strong the the Delco, the Delaware County accent was until I started watching the show. I was like, when I was in Philly, it must have just slipped my mind. I'm like, wow, this... This is strong. <laughs> um, as far as movies or projects in general, I'd say. Um, I watched this Drew League documentary on YouTube called The Drew. No excuse, just produce. It was really good. It was really good for sure. Um, and I also watched this Cleveland Cavaliers documentary by Secret Base on YouTube. It was so good. Like that is, if there's anything... I can recommend as far as something to watch. It's like two hours, but it's on YouTube by Secret Base, and it's an entire series based on the Cavs, and it was so good, so good. Also, as I'm recording this, uh, a few a little while ago, Juneteenth was made a federal holiday, so happy belated Juneteenth to everybody. Juneteenth is certainly more important to me than the 4th of Fourth of July by all measures. Uh, and now it's being recognized as a federal holiday. And I think that's pretty cool for sure. Um, I think it's the first new federal holiday since, crazy enough, since they introduced MLK Day in 1983, which is crazy. But hey, the more people that know, the better. So 
let's just talk about what just the most recent development while it's on my mind the nba finals and of course for someone who loves good basketball hot takes and pure chaos as much as i do i was ready for some unbiased slander going into the postseason but i also got some all-time performances so let's start with my overall thought process Chris Paul's slander isn't more fun than uplifting Giannis. Now, I understand that Chris Paul is the only player in NBA history to blow four different 2-0 series leads, and ironically, the only person with three of two 2-0 series blown leads is his former teammate, Blake Griffin. I understand, but not too much slander to be given. He did what he could. However, CP3 did try to kill Giannis at the end of Game 5, which was crazy. On the play where Drew rips Booker and he throws a lob. If you look at it, Chris Paul literally two-hand shoved Giannis out of the air. Or at least he tried to. But Giannis had, had Giannis had a bad landing, Chris Paul might not have even been allowed to play Game 6. It was that egregious of an attempt, but this is Chris Paul who flops and punches players in the nuts, so it wasn't all too surprising. But what a play that was. Giannis with the flex, the stare down after. LeBron's in the background of the shot. There's a fan in the front row who's literally covering their eyes. I'm like, dang, Giannis is here. Since you're here to listen to me talk, I might as well provide my actual input on why I thought the Bucks won. No matter what the answer is, it has to revolve around Giannis, but I'll give it to you in tears. The third great answer. How did the Bucks win the NBA Finals, Theo? Third great answer. The Bucks' defense improved as the series went on, and Giannis took over the games with some help here and there. The 10th grade answer. Drew Holiday disrupted the flow of Phoenix's offense by guarding the ball as much as possible. Giannis turned Phoenix's plan to allow him getting fouled into easy points for him. Holiday and Middleton made huge plays on either ends of the floor when needed. The 24-year-old Theo answer, but really long. This is the advanced level calculus in the eighth dimension answer. Whole answer, what happened in the NBA Finals. The Bucks fluctuated their defensive schemes between switching everything and drop coverage in the pick and roll. In game one, Phoenix ate them up by making Brooke Lopez their victim all the time. Since both CP3 and Book have good pick and roll decision making and elite level mid-range shot making, Lopez was looking like food all game one. Game two, the Bucks actually did a better job at forcing tougher shots and getting better shots of their own. But Phoenix shot 50% from three, which is insane. And Middleton and Holiday were as cold as ice from the floor, combining to go 12 of 37, which is awful, despite Giannis putting up a 40 ball. Game three, it was all about the Bucks' defense. They finally figured out exactly what they wanted to do scheme-wise. 
in game one against Atlanta and game one against Phoenix, they just soft switched everything. Basically just switching when someone shows up for any reason. Switch on a flare screen, switch on a ball screen, switch on a pin down, switch on a high five. Just they switched everything for any reason at all. Halfway through game two and the rest of the series on, they were like, hey, we have the best on ball guard defender in basketball in Drew Holiday. Make sure he stays as close to the ball as possible for as many reasons for as long as possible. And wow, did it work. Book was three of 14 for 10 points and the entire offense was fighting so hard for points. And that happened literally the entire remainder of the series. Credit to coach Budenholzer who literally never made any, and I mean any adjustments before this year's playoffs. He was clearly in the film room this time around, and the Bucks were like, hey, we know we could theoretically put Giannis in the pick-and-roll action, but instead, we'll have him stay low and cover any weak side rotations or lobs, and that mindset worked. It prevented Aiton from getting a billion rebounds like he did all playoffs long. It prevented the easy lobs or dribble penetration into layups. It was truly impressive. The Bucks were only allowing to get wide open 18-foot jump shots or fadeaway 18-foot jump shots. But no uncontested threes off of kickouts, no lobs, only tough floaters and fadeaway mid-ranges. And I would say that's all thanks to Drew Holiday. Here's my Drew Holiday appreciation section because homie was looking like max contract Eric Bledsoe for a minute there but he really turned it up down the stretch. There is incredible value in making someone like Chris Paul not get to the spots he wants to at the exact time that he wants to. If you watch the Clippers or the Nuggets series, you could see that CP3 wasn't really going super fast through his progressions, but he was just waiting for things to get into place. Make the defense scramble at just the thought of him kicking it out or tossing a lob, then boom, 15-footer. Or he gets the screen. Oh, now that he made the mid-range, that strong side corner helps, so he dishes it for a corner three. So now he just kicked it out for a three, so he hits the lob to Aiton. Oh, did he just hit the lob to Aiton? So the weak side corner has to now come in and tag so Aiton can't get the lob, and that's a kick out to the opposite corner three. And it's all in what's known as the pick-and-roll pyramid. Master manipulation of everyone on the floor, when things happen, and controlling the defenders with your eyes and the threat to pass or score. If you watch Trey Young or Luka, they're all in this same tier of personnel manipulation using the live dribble and the pick-and-roll. But Drew Holiday is probably the best player in the league at avoiding screens. It's so amazing. So CP3 can't just snake dribble around Aiden on the roll for the mid-range because Drew's right there. So he takes away that mid-range, the easy mid-range option. If Drew gets a really good jump on the screen, he times it up early, he can get in front of the ball handler and take away the floater. He's just so disciplined on defense. Not to mention, he was picking guys up full court, so it would take longer and longer for the action to start. 
there were several there were several times where the Aiton screen would come at 15 or 16 seconds in the shot clock for Phoenix to get a good look on a mismatch. But against Milwaukee, games two and three and on, they took so long to get Drew Holiday out of the way finally that they only had like five or six seconds to make a decision. Drew Holiday was going crazy on defense. Now, this isn't to say that Booker still didn't get his shots, but a mid-range heavy offense doesn't yield many free throws or layups, which also means you don't get to generate too much help defense, which in turn would allow more passes to the wings, so the role players cool down over time. That's why you saw earlier in the series, Mikel Bridges was putting up like 25, 27, whatever he put up, and that just didn't happen again. Simply put, the Bucks defense did an amazing job. Now, Giannis. Wow, what a performance. Such a drastic difference between what we were looking at game four versus Atlanta when his knee literally goes in a direction it's not supposed to. He finishes the finals as the first player to average 30 points 10 rebounds, and 5 assists on 60% shooting. The first player to ever have a 50-point, 10-rebound, 5-block finals game. One of only 7 players to have 50 points in a finals game. He was amazing. Let's start on defense. He did something literally no other player this entire postseason was able to do. And that slowed down DeAndre Ayton. Yes, he still averaged 12 rebounds a game against the Bucks, but he averaged 14 against the Clippers. And Giannis was the only player who grabbed more offensive rebounds in a series than Ayton since the Lakers, where Andre Drummond grabbed a grand total of one more offensive rebound than him. And you know Drummond's basketball awareness is that of a default Bray shirt, gray sweats, 2K My Career player, you know? Drummond ain't got the sauce like that. He's not that guy, right? Giannis also was the only person to make DeAndre Ayton not shoot 70% from the field. Coming into the finals, DeAndre Ayton was shooting 71% from the field. In the finals, he shot 50 I know shooting 50% is really nice. It's really good. But if you told me, hey... The third best player on the Suns in the finals, the third best player on any team you're facing in the playoffs, is going to shoot 20% worse. Would you like to have that? The answer is obviously yes. That's such an impactful way to play defense, right? Giannis also did a really, really good job at keeping his blocked shots in bounds. The thing about blocks is that when you block the shot out of bounds, it's basically just a missed shot on the stat sheet, but the shot clock stays the same. The effectiveness of blocking a shot in bounds is that you can actually gain possession of it, making it more like a steal. And Giannis did a great job of that. During the Brooklyn series, 
I noticed that Giannis was making a solid amount of his 11 to 12 foot post-up fadeaways, which is incredibly valuable to his game. I'd argue it's more important than adding a three because a consistent 11 footer leads to better post-up opportunities, more passing lanes, and if the defender goes for the up fake, it's an easy step through for a layup. To which we all know Giannis can make layups because this NBA Finals, Giannis made an unbelievable 84% of his shots at the rim. Just so good. Just so good. I was looking at how he performed in the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals against the Raptors and looking for what the differences were, even just last year against the Heat while he was healthy. And this year, he was just so much more certain of his moves this time. He was out of control so often in the past. We make fun of Siakam when his primary move was to spin out of danger, but that was definitely Giannis's move as well. Those out-of-control spins led to more turnovers, and he wasn't as dangerous near the rim because they could just foul him. Now, he has good enough strength and balance to at least reduce his turnover percentage and get to the line and make a good play. Poor Aiton. Poor DeAndre Aiton, because he was drop-stepping that man into oblivion. He basically used Capella in the Eastern Conference Finals as practice for all of his moves because he was cooking down low. And credit to Aiton. He has made leaps on the defensive end. He looked like a cone out there last season and the season before. And he did, you know, his best. I mean, getting 50 put on your head in the finals isn't like, you know, the greatest thing to ride home about. But just think of it this way. Imagine if another team played them. (laughs) Like, think of it this way, right? If the Clippers made it, who would have guarded Giannis? Nobody. (laughs) He would probably went for 50 every single game, free throws notwithstanding. And let's talk about the free throws. Game six, he made 17 of 19 free throws. And they looked good. They looked like he shouldn't ever miss his free throws. They looked good. The question was always, what would happen if Shaq made his free throws? You just found out the answer. 50. 50. Amazing. It was so, so, so cool. A really silly argument that came up recently and has persisted for a while around Giannis. And I, I hey, I was, I, I kind of leaned in a little bit, a lot of bit. Hey, was his quote, lack of moves or his, his bag, so to speak. The discussion was that his bag wasn't deep enough for him to be considered the best player or to win a championship. And it's basically all about aesthetics, which is stupid, right? You know who has a bag that is infinitely deep? Jamal Crawford. You know what Jamal Crawford's ceiling is? Sixth man of the year. That's it. Tracy McGrady has a deep bag. What's his ceiling? First round of the playoffs. That's it. We give this huge amount of respect and deference to all players who have like more attractive play styles. The 
MJ, the Kobe's, the KD's, the Mellows, the Steph Curry's, the Kyrie's. But if points go on the scoreboard, who even cares? I do not care that Giannis does not have the hezzy pull-up that KD or Carmelo has. If he could score 50 in a finals game, that's enough for me. Literally only seven players have ever done that. Giannis was amazing. That block on Ayton at the end of game four was amazing. The alley-oop where he stared into the camera. Oh, my God. Drew Holiday, what? <laughs> First of all, here's how crazy Giannis was on defense. Devin Booker, mid-range master, was dribbling down one in the fourth quarter was about to pull up, saw Giannis, and was like, oh, no, 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 thank you, no, thank you, no, no, turned around, and Drew Holiday just stole his lunch, and Giannis, if you actually look back at it, there's enough camera angles for this, his eyes get real wide, he's like, ooh, (laughs) and he starts sprinting down the floor, and I'm just like, how does he have the energy for that, he's sprinting, like he's a runner he's a track star with 20 seconds left in the game but with no timeouts the bucks are up one drew holiday just took the ball in a million times out of a million you would tell drew holiday to pull it out and just dribble instead he was like i'm going for the game breaker nba street style throws up the lob and oh my gosh that was so crazy that was so crazy. Like, had that lob not gone well, he throws it a little too late, a little too high, a little too behind him. Giannis doesn't finish it. Giannis gets hurt because Chris Paul tries to kill him. And, we're, and it's all old dude's situation. You're looking at the Suns possibly being up 3-2 instead. Because, like, if he missed, then the Suns get the ball. Giannis is behind the play. And you got a 5-1-4, and I think they also had a timeout, I think. Either way, you only, the only situation where that was a good pass was the exact situation that happened. Where you get an and one, so you get a shot to actually go up four. Because if Chris Paul doesn't foul him, it's still a one-possession game. But he father-stretched my hands, the the vision, the, the oop. Oh, my God gosh that was so crazy that's like it reminds me of this one time i mean the dunk was cooler but there was this ncaa tournament game that happened a long time ago i might have mentioned this before i don't remember but there's this ncaa tournament game that happened years ago and it's like a 14 or a 13 seed is playing is like about to win the game they're up it's a two-on-one fast break with like 38 seconds left, and they can just dribble it out. But they have a two-on-one fast break. <laughs> the guy with the ball shoots a three. <laughs> in a two-on-one fast break with 30 seconds left in a NCAA tournament game. Up. They are up. He shoots a three. And I'm like, if that doesn't go in, you'll think about it for the rest of your life. But it went in, so he thought about it for the rest of his life. I'm like, that is a, 
oh my god, you're going to hell if you miss. You're going to heaven if you make it. There's no in-between. There is no in-between. It was crazy. And that reminded me of this. Only Giannis dunked it, and we got the Father Stretch My Hands treatment. And it was just so cool. I was I was freaking out at the just the audacity of Drew Holiday to toss the game-breaker lob on Chris Paul. Chris Paul tried to send that man to the doom dimension. It didn't work out. Bucks and six. Time to do some all-time comparisons because why, 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 what else are we doing? What else are we doing? Giannis's closeout game is certainly up there with the best. Only the second 50-point finals closeout game since Bob Pettit in 1958. But let's give it a little more context. Some other crazy finals closeout games. Magic Johnson in 1980. A rookie. Magic Johnson. Kareem literally did not play. (laughs) The focal point of the Lakers to this point was Kareem. He did not play. He was hurt. This is a rookie, Magic Johnson, who decided to play center. In, in the era where you needed a center, decided to play center. He just casually put up 42 points, 15 rebounds, and seven assists in the NBA Finals, and he won Finals MVP because he literally put up that stat line, which is absurd as a rookie. Crazy. Uh, Clyde Frazier. 1970 NBA Finals. I'm pretty sure most people know this game because that's the one where like Willis Reed comes out of the tunnel um, to only score like four points. Clyde Frazier, 1970 NBA Finals, Game 7 against the Jerry West Wilt Chamberlain Lakers. Had 36 points, 7 rebounds, and 19 assists. On 70% shooting, which is insane. Insane. 1988 NBA Finals. Pistons, Lakers, Game 7. James Worthy has the first and only triple-double of his entire career. The only time it ever happened, ever. Game 7 of the NBA Finals. 36 points, 16 rebounds, 10 assists on 68% shooting. Crazy. Oh, and of course, who could who could forget game 6 1998 NBA Finals. Michael Jordan. <laughs> of course, the the push off On the Jazz crowd, because the Jazz deserve nothing at all. On the Jazz, Michael Jordan quite literally goes for 45 points. Hilariously, 45 points, one rebound, one assist, right? But the the crazy stat about this is that the game was ugly. The game was really ugly to the extent that... That Michael Jordan scored 45 out of 87 points. (laughs) Just buckets. I mean, he scored 52% of their points. 
<laughs> in a game, sorry, game six, sorry. Did I say seven? I meant to say six. Close out game six, because Michael Jordan never played in a game seven in the NBA Finals. Trust me, I've heard it a million times. Game six of the NBA Finals, 1998. His entire team, outside of him, puts up 42. He puts up 45. And he hits the shot. So, my final conclusion is this. Was this Giannis series a top five performance since 2000? Yeah, I'd allow it. Oh, another closeout game. I I need to throw this back in there. Let me get the numbers for y'all. You're going to hear me tick a tick a tapping. Um, 2003 Tim Duncan is the, the thing that just entered my head. Because Tim Duncan went ballistic. It's It's legitimately one of the craziest stat lines I've ever seen in my life. Tim Duncan, Game 6, 2003 NBA Finals against the New Jersey Nets, went for, make sure you're sitting down for this one, 21 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and 8 blocks. He was two blocks away from a quadruple double to win the NBA Finals. What? To win the finals, he was two blocks away from a quadruple double. What does that even mean? Like, what? Just insane. But yeah. Um, top five performance since 2000. Yeah, I'd say so. We got 2000 or 2002 Shaq, one of the two. You can just have whichever one you desire. 2017 Kevin Durant. For some scale, why is Kevin Durant on there? Because he was on a really good team. Kevin Durant was, I think he was 12. He had, in the finals, he was 12% true, no, 9 points per 75 positions higher than average and 15% true shooting higher than average. So in the finals, he was shooting 15% true shooting better and nine points per 75 possessions better than everybody else. Crazy. That is crazy. Sorry, better than his regular season numbers. That 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 shows you the level of elevation he went for. 2016 LeBron, I mean, how do you say no to that? But I'd throw this in there. I'd throw this in there right, right around that little mar- margin right there. Just because of the defensive impact he had. And the 50 ball, the free throws, the 50 ball, just wow. Um, the Suns are definitely a good team, not a super amazing team. Like the Bucks had the fourth highest defensive efficiency of all time playoff teams that have played at least 10 games. That stat is from thinking basketball. But they were an average offense, so they were shaped exactly like the 2002 Lakers, but just with the worst offense, right? Big guy, get all the points on the inside. Perimeter player, hit the shots when you need to. You know, that's just how it is. Just the differences. The Lakers were like second that season in like offensive rating, and the Bucks were not. <laughs> were not. Um, but what an amazing performance from Giannis. He said so many just quotes and videos in the past, just like past like week or so, and just in general. Just showing how genuine of a person he is. Just a super likable guy for sure. And I'm just so happy for him. 
But it's time for Slander Season. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, bro. Slander Season. I'd like to present what I'd like to call the 2021 playoffs first team all disappointment. Starting at center, seven foot whatever from France. Rudy Gobert, Gobert, screen assist MVP, Leonet style potato, slow bear, Gogurt, all that. Gobert got absolutely exposed by Tyloo, Terrence Mann, and the Clippers. Terrence Mann, who's, you know, a fine player, literally scored 39 points off of all practically threes and corner threes off, all guarded by Gobert. The Clippers literally found out that Gobert won't run to the three-point line, so they just played five out. And they just started shooting and hitting. And then the Jazz lost. But hey, that's your five-year, $205 million defensive player of the year whose contract doesn't start until next year. It's about to get real spooky. The Clippers just gave the NBA the anti-Gobert blueprint. Power forward from, where did he even go to? Arizona. From University of Arizona? Arizona University? I don't know. Aaron Gordon. On a four-year, $80 million contract. Still can't get over the fact that he hasn't won a dunk contest. Starting the year with the Magic, then getting sent to the Nuggets who wanted to be a stretch four on a good team, ended up playing the Suns and hitting a grand total of nine points per game, four rebounds on 41% shooting, and made zero threes in four games, and got swept. And this man had the audacity to make a wish list of teams he wanted to go to, just to stink it up. Nine points a game? Nine? Ew nasty small forward has a great hoop mixtape from the university of kentucky julius randall most improved player number one option on the knicks did he average 18 points and 12 rebounds in the playoffs yes yes he did but he shot 30 percent from the floor yikes During the regular season, he scored 24 points per game on 46% shooting, only to go to 18 points per game on 30% shooting. Just disappointing for the Garden fans overall, but hey, they had a good run. They had a good run. Shooting guard. He doesn't really play shooting guard now that I think about it, but I had to put him in somewhere. Shooting guard from the University of Tennessee, Mr. Tobias Harris. 19 points per game on 47% shooting against the Hawks. On paper, that's not bad at all. Same points per game, but only 5% worse from his regular season averages. But he is on a five-year, $180 million max contract. Game four, zero fourth quarter points. Game five, zero 
fourth quarter points. Both L's. That can't happen. They lost. That cannot happen. A max player needs to get buckets. And they lost. Both those games, he did not score in two consecutive fourth quarters. But he's not the MVP. Because starting at point guard from Montverde Academy went to Louisiana State University by way of Australia. The first team all disappointment MVP, Ben Simmons. Zero fourth quarter points in games four, five, six, or seven. Ben Simmons missed 48 free throws by the time the Sixers lost to the Hawks. For reference, the Suns, as a team, by the end of the second round, missed 29 by that point. And the Nets missed 28 by then. Ben Simmons was the second worst free throw shooter in a single playoff run ever by all players who took at least 50 free throws only to Ben Wallace. He was worse than Shaq. Wow. He shot 34.2% from the free throw line. Just bad. Just just so bad. In the fourth quarter at home in a game seven. Ben Simmons is on the low block. He is 6'11", 240. He was wide open under the rim. Saw 6'1", 175-pound Trey Young rotate over to him, and instead of dunking on him, he passed out of it. Just insane. The Sixers could have had James Harden for Ben Simmons. Oh, well. Not like he's on a max contract worth five years, $177 million, two-time all-star, first-team all-defense and designed your city edition jerseys or anything like that. MVP, Ben Simmons, Simmons, Simmons. (laughs) Honorable mentions. Honorable mentions for the first-team all-disappointment. Joe Harris. Joe Harris shot 47.5% from three during the regular season. So basically every other one he made. In games three through seven against Milwaukee, Joe Harris shot 24.2% from the three-point line. In the most important games he's ever played in, four in a row. Five, wait, that's five games in a row. Three, four, five, six, seven. Five games, 24.2% from the three-point line. For some scale, Drew Holiday shot 24.3% and Giannis shot 26.1%. Yep. Joe Harris was outshot from three by Giannis. And the last honorable mention... Chris Stapps, Porzingis, a.k.a. Tengus Pingus. Um, 
It is now the Tim Hardaway trade with the Tingus Pingus salary dump. He is no longer a rim protector. He only shot 29.6% the entire series. 29.6%. Five years, $158 million, and nobody wants him. Because if he can't protect the rim and he can't shoot threes, he's just a tall dude worth a lot of money. Damn. Some more slander, because, you know, I'm full of... I'm just an instigator, right? Dame's teammates folding. Damian Lillard had a 55-point playoff game with a 97% true shooting percentage. 97. 97% true shooting percentage. He made 12 threes, and his team lost. Free that man. Free Dame till it's Dame-free. Free that man till it's backwards. Oh my god. 55. He was hitting step back, side step, half spin, step back threes. Cash money. And his teammates were selling like they were at the bottom of a pyramid scheme. Just selling. Oh my god. It was crazy. Right? Some more slander. Steve Nash's terrible rotations. Kevin Durant literally willed the Nets to victory in Game 5. Played every single minute. Had 49, 17, and 10. Yet Steve Nash barely gave KD any rest in a Game 7 in which he literally was an inch away from preventing anything we just saw that happen from happening. An inch away. He did not call a KD he did, he did not call a timeout to give KD rest in overtime. He didn't use his bench really at all and was forcing James Harden on half a hamstring to go out there. Just a, just a bad showing from Steve Nash. James Harden is getting some slander. Not only is that man <laughs> kind of, he kind of, kind of shrivels up in the light during the playoffs when he was hurt. I'll give him a pass. James Harden infamously said that he wished, in reference to Giannis, when they were jostling for MVP in 2018, Harden infamously said that he wished he could be seven feet tall, just run and dunk, because that takes no skill at all. And here we are. A 50 ball from Giannis, and Harden hasn't been to the NBA Finals since 2012. Slander myself. For being wrong about the Suns and the Clippers, I said on Twitter that the, I thought the Suns wouldn't be as good as they were. Credit Monty Williams for just scheming up. Credit Chris Paul for being better than I thought. I also said the Clippers would never make the Western Conference Finals. But then again, that means I had to trust Rudy Gobert and who even am I for trusting Rudy Gobert to do anything. But I was also first team all anti-Paul George, me and my good friend Shilon, who I had on a previous episode of the podcast. And I've been shown the door this year, but I'm fine going down with my hot takes. There's no shame. There's no regret because that's the fun of it, right? Next segment, got to give credit where credit is due. First person who's due for a lot of credit, Trey Young. I liked him a lot at Oklahoma, but to say he'd be the best player on a conference finals team 
three years into his career was even surprising to me. I, I'm really happy that he's more or less found his play style. When he was in college, it was more Steph Curry than anything else. But now it's more James Harden. It's more just manipulate the dribble. Like, he is elite level handles. Just so good. But he's more the dribble, penetration, get into the lane, cause some mayhem. Flop twerk for some fouls. Trey Young do be twerking for some fouls sometimes. Throw, you know, throwing his body around. But... It'd be like that when you're six foot one, 175 pounds. Maybe the slightest amount of contact does feel like you're getting thrown around. But hey, I don't know. I'm not six one or 175. <laughs> um, he turned into the Knicks villain, the modern Reggie Miller for for the Knicks. Well, just embracing the moment. I mean, he's had a lot of haters. Some some of his haters were induced by the fact that. You know, ESPN put a tracker in the game of whatever he was doing. Like, there was a telecast of a Oklahoma home game, I think, where they had Trey Young's stats on the screen the entire game. It was crazy. Um, but, yeah, he, he handled it very, 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 very well. Um, developing into a pick-and-roll master. I mean... All you have to do is watch game one of that Knicks series just to know he knows a lot about the game of basketball. He is one of the best passers in the league. And I don't mean that in a super flashy way. Just if you watch him on a screen, basically the idea is to stop the roll, the guy in the opposite side corner has to tag the roll man. And Trey Young would be throwing a lot of floaters and a lot of lobs that look like floaters and a lot of floaters that look like lobs, you know? So he just throws up lobs and floaters all the time. And to try and stop the lob, you have to tag. That's what that's what it's called. You tag the roll man so that he doesn't just throw the lob and it's two points, right? And to kind of hold, to keep the, the how should I say? To keep a defender honest, you have to be able to make a really good pass. Because if it's really obvious what pass you're going to make, the def- the defense can react a little bit, and that gives your shooters a little bit less time to shoot, right? The closeout comes sooner, right? There was three, I think it was three plays in a row, or there was a three-play sample where the Hawks ran what's called a Spain pick and roll, so it's like the first guy gets screened and the screener, like then you screen the screener is the term, you screen the screener. So like... First guy goes up, sets a screen. Then there's a guy behind him who sets another screen on the guy that just screened, basically. That's what it means, right? There's two screens. And what happens out of that, It's all, it almost looks like a like eye formation, you know? There's just so many things that can come out of it. It's almost like, a, like if you ran stack, but in the middle of the floor for a pick. Because, like, the one guy rolls and one guy pops out to the three-point line or just a bunch of stuff, a bunch of chaos happens, right? So... In that situation, the most one of the most important players is the low man on the weak side because he has to tag, right? But NBA players are unbelievably good athletes. So they can have one foot in the paint and then also defend a corner three in like a second and a half. So you need to have a laser of a throw, 
of a pass, right? Because if you like look, if you if you're like telegraphing your pass by looking at the guy, that's like one half of a second less for your def- your your shooter to be able to get off a good shot because the defender is going to close on it, right? Trey has one of the best live dribble passing abilities I've ever seen. He'll just dribble, dribble, and in the next dribble, just whip it without ever putting his other hand on the ball. It's the opposite corner. He can do it with both hands, too. I'm like, that is crazy. And he did it to the Knicks. He, was, he, he did them dirty the entire series, just manipulating with all the types of passes, behind the back, lobs, lobs that look like floaters, all that stuff. He was amazing. Um, then it's about the whole Luca thing. So Trey, Luca, Luca, Trey. They both work in their respective cities. I would say I'm. I mean, to me, it just makes more sense that Trey is in Atlanta because I mean, I'm sure Luca's cool, but I feel like Atlanta would embrace Trey a little differently. If you know what I'm saying, and Dallas would embrace Luca differently. You know, just just think about Atlanta. You got Migos, you got two chains. You know what I'm saying? And then Dallas is Dallas, right? And it just fits Dirk, international, white to just, you know, I'm just going to throw it just, I'm trying to bury the lead there. White, you know, it just works that way. And Trey, Atlanta's very ethnic city, you know, and Trey just kind of fits. He got the swag. He's got the style. You know what I mean? Luca does have some swag too. Just, you know, I just feel like if you're asking Quavo, you know, who, who would you vibe with more? And they're both equally successful, Trey or Luca. I mean, just it just be like that, right? That's just how it is. So, and then the shimmy. He shimmied and shimmied and shimmied and shimmied. And then game one, Trey. I mean, it felt like game. I mean, he won every game one, didn't he? Trey won every single game one he played in. Like that Atlanta, like the one against the Knicks. He hit the floater for the. He hit the floater for the win, and then. Against the Sixers, he threw that lob to John Collins to seal the game. And then against the Bucks, he hit like 48 or something. Like, he was just going crazy. Hit a little shimmy. Drew Holiday got stuck in screen jail uh, for game one and did not happen anymore after that. But Drew Holiday got stuck behind the screen. Trey hit a little shimmy action because Brooke Lopez was in drop coverage. And, uh, yeah, game one went to Trey every single time. So, very impressed with Trey. Um, some more credit where credit is due. Shout out uh, Drew Holiday. I was ready. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Before the NBA Finals, I 100% had I 100% had Drew Holiday on the first team all slander. I, I had him because he was putting up bricks. But he was strapping. He was strapping book and cp3 up whoever his assignment was that day and chris middleton cash money middleton he had the most like he had the most clutch points in the playoffs i think he had the most like the yeah he had the most clutch points in the playoffs and he had like the most like fourth quarter buckets or something like that since lebron in 2007 which was crazy um so shout out to them for playing well and then first team all surprise. First person on first team all surprise is campaign. To think that he could go from campaign of old to 
campaign now where he can actually run some valuable sets and valuable minutes while Chris Paul is on the bench. Um, you know, just like amazing, just amazing in general. Um, and what ends up happening is like Chris Paul, like they're not minus in the minutes without Chris Paul, which is crazy. Um, but I'm just really happy for campaign for having like a really good, you know, just playoff series in general. But what ended up happening is the second person to kind of surprise me, kind of surprised me was Facundo Compazzo. The thing that Jamal Murray would go out and Compasso isn't like a super minus is uh very surprising. Very, very surprising. Um yeah, just you know, he did he did what he could, and then they ran into the Suns, and it was very, very bad. Cause a tiny, tiny man could not get around a DeAndre Ayton screen fast enough, and it was just bad news bears. Um, Trey Young, like I mentioned, first team all surprise. Not that Trey Young had too much of a ceiling that he reached. Like, I mean, he played unbelievably well, but he was already a really good player versus campaign previously was not a good player or just was just an okay player. Then Compazzo, you just didn't know what you were getting. Um, he, he was good internationally, but Trey Young did very well. Terrence Mann had some moments where, like in the Clippers series, I think, yeah, it was in the Clippers, the Clippers Maverick series, where he, instead of <laughs> the game on the line, instead of kicking out to Paul George or Kawhi, he just takes it to the cup and misses. <laughs> and I'm like, dang. And then you got Gobert out of there. And I'm like, look at Terrence Mann go. The MVP, MVP of the first team all surprise. It what really isn't a surprise who it is. It's Reggie Jackson. Like what? Reggie Jackson was going crazy, going crazy all playoffs. I'm like, he's just hitting endless shots, endless huge shots. Every time I was like, yeah, the Clippers are about to surrender this lead. Reggie Jackson said, no, we're not. It was crazy. Every single time Reggie Jackson was getting buckets. So, some silly stuff. Um, some silly stuff. All time lists. So all time lists are kind of weird because it's all about subjective and it's all about error, er, errors, and it's all about what you think. You know who you saw grow up, right? Older people will involve older players, and I'm like, I've literally never seen anything involving Oscar Robertson, but whatever, right? I know he was good. Um, but. What ends up happening is there's this huge dialogue since Chris Paul finally made it to the finals about who are the best point guards ever. And I just don't, it was really hard for me to really think about it, right? Because in my head, let's just say I went straight from the top of my head, right? No thought involved. It would be like Magic and Steph and Isaiah Thomas and like Stockton and then Chris Paul or Chris Paul then Stockton then it's like well you got to think about Oscar Robertson because he won a ring he was the first you know blah 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 I'm like was Oscar Robertson really a point guard did he just play point guard you know what I mean it's just it's just weird right Chris I would say Chris Paul definitely gets gets to be in the top five if you don't like John Stockton because you can just get him out of there because he didn't win anything he had a two John Stockton had a has the most steals and most assists in NBA history. Those records won't be broken. But he also had two points in the NBA Finals game. Two, two or four. I think it was two. It was that time where they lost like 96 to 54 or something like that. He let that happen, you know. So, hey, Chris Paul, is he top five? Sure, why not? Why not? Um, 
all-time power forwards. Is Giannis the second best power forward now? So the question now is like, okay, Tim Duncan's obviously won. Um, I would say, I would say, yeah, because like he, Giannis is now in that Kevin Garnett, um, Dirk, Anthony Davis, David Robinson kind of mix, right, of power forwards. But Kevin Garnett, was he the best player on his team? Yeah, but it wasn't like a gap, right? Like he would, if he had won a ring in like Minnesota, then he, and then him and Giannis would be like, you know, right, like one, like two A, two B. Dirk, yeah, like that was very impressive, but I, I was not nearly as impressive as what just happened. It was like it just that was crazy. Um, and David Robinson, he won two rings, but Tim Duncan was the backpack, and he was the Tim Duncan was the was the sword, and he was the shield. You know, very valuable together. But Tim Duncan was getting the MVPs. And it was at the end of David Robinson's career anyway. So I'd say Giannis, second best power forward. Yeah, defensive player of the year. Uh, two MVPs, a finals MVP. Just dang, just crazy. Um, but yeah. So I started on this project, right? As we kind of wrap up here. I started on this project a while ago. And I was kind of curious as to like, just in general, who has the most points responsible for in a series or in a season excuse me and what i mean is who did the most carrying you know and what ends up happening is i was like hey let me just build it out let me just build a model out and what ended up happening was i found something really interesting how do you quantify how much an assist is worth because Obviously, a point if you assist something, you can't assist free throws, and um, you can't ass- and you can't really quantify how many assists were for threes and how many assists were for twos by looking at the box score. So I had to do some math, and I was like, um, "How should I determine how much an assist is worth?" So I basically was like, "Okay, I'll do the calculation with two. Like the assist just being flat two. And then I'll do it at 2.25. And then I was like, wait, no, I have a better idea. If I look at a team's two pointers made that season and look at their three pointers made that season, I can approximate how many points each of each field goal made was worth for the entire season. Right. Obviously, there's some error in here, but you could more or less say, okay, if a team shot, if they made like 2,000 twos in a season and 1,500 threes in a season or whatever, then you can get a good approximation of what each made shot would be worth if you just do the math. Right. So I was curious. I had to throw in some LeBron years, some MJ years, some Chris Paul years, some Westbrook years, some John Stockton years, some Allen Iverson years, some Kobe years, some Magic Johnson years, some Luka years, some just, just some Steve Nash, some Isaiah Thomas. And I was like, I'm curious, right? Some Steph Curry, right? And what ends up happening is you, I got surprised. I got really, really surprised in the middle, but not at the top. And let me break it down. So it was the formula was whole. It's like points plus 
assists times this factor that I came up with, which is relative points per made shot. So it just depends on the season. So, for example, if I go, if I sort it smallest to largest, the least points per made shot ever, like of, of sorry, not ever, but of the the years I calculated was in 1983 for the Los Angeles Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers in 2000, and sorry, in 1983 made 2.0025 points per made shot. <laughs> because they made 3,954 two-pointers that year and 10 threes. In an entire season, they made 10 threes. The second lowest points per made shot was the 1985 Chicago Bulls, 2.0084. And that was the same for the 1984 Pistons, 2.0084. The highest points per made shot ever were the 2020 Dallas Mavericks, at 2.3636 points per made shot. Then the 2021 Warriors, then the 2021 Mavericks, and the 2019 Mavericks, then the 2016 Warriors. Round of the top five. Um, and I also just kind of wanted to highlight something. Eras. Like, I, I think I mentioned this offhand before. I actually have a pretty definitive answer right now. Which era allowed the most points? And it was the 80s. Like the rough and tough and you wouldn't survive back in the brouhaha days or whatever, right? The top... Dang, this is a long list. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The top seven teams... In terms of how many buckets they made in a year. Like, this is total made field goals. The top seven teams were all in the 80s. The 83 Lakers, the 85 Lakers, the 85 Pistons, the 86 Lakers, the 84 Lakers. Is that the 84 Pistons, the 86 Pistons, the 87 Lakers? Um, Yeah, like, that is crazy. Just a ton of buckets. The the 1983 Lakers made 3,964 shots. And only 10 of them were threes. <laughs> Crazy. Like, just insane. The only team that's in the top... The only team that's from this generation of teams... The 13th place team of the teams I measured was the 2017 Warriors. And they're in 13th. So if y'all thought scoring is wild now, oh my goodness, back then it was crazy. But that's besides the point. Who has the highest combined points and assists? Basically, who has the most points responsible for in a season? Number 10 of points responsible for in a single season. 1991 John Stockton, he had 3,794 points responsible for in a season. Number nine, 1987 Michael Jordan, 
3,803 points responsible for. Michael Jordan takes up spots 8 and 7 also, 1990 MJ and 1988 MJ, both at just around 3,800 points, but MJ in 1990, 3,828 MJ in 1988, 3,846. So basically a game difference, right? Number six is 2018 Russell Westbrook. 3,887 points responsible for, right? Number five, 1987 Magic Johnson, 3,986 points. Number four, 2018 LeBron James. The person I basically made this entire list thinking would he would be top three, top two. 3,939 points responsible for that season. Number three of the players I measured, 1989 Michael Jordan. 3,965 points responsible for. And for some scale, 2018 LeBron, his points per made shot for his team was 2.26. They made 782 threes. Michael Jordan in 1989, his his team only made 174 threes. So (laughs) he was just scoring. He was just getting to the cup. Number two all time, 1985 Isaiah Thomas, 3,979 points per, points responsible for, excuse me. So, for some scale, player two is 74 points more responsible for than player five. So there's a 74 point gap between second place and fifth place. So it's really close to the top. But not for number one, who is someone you'd probably guess would be at the top of this list. 2017, Russell Westbrook with an absurd 4,417 points responsible for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 400 plus points ahead of second place. And for some scale, he his team made less threes than 2018 LeBron. So his points per, his points per made shot for his team was lower. He was just doing everything just so crazy and of course i was just like hey what's the percentage though like can i get a a percentage point of team responsible for and i was like hey why not so i did that 10th place all time points responsible for by a percentage 1987 michael jordan 44.2 actually excuse me tied for 10th Michael Jordan in 1987 and Allen Iverson in 2005 at 44.2% responsible for their entire team's points. 
excuse me, entire team's, yeah, points in general. Because you can't be responsible for free, someone else's free throws. Yes. 44.2%. Number nine, 2006, Kobe Bryant. 44.4% responsible for. Number eight, 1991, John Stockton, 44.5% responsible for. 1998, Michael Jordan, number six, number sorry, sorry, number seven, excuse me, at 44.7 points responsible for. Number six is 2008, Chris Paul, at 45% even. Number five is 2006, LeBron James at 45.1%. 1989 Michael Jordan is number four at 45.4%. Number three is 2009 Chris Paul at 46.7%. Number two, 2018 LeBron James, 48.9% responsible for all of his team's points. And number one, back to back, 2017 Russell Westbrook was responsible for 50 and a half percent of his team's points. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is crazy. I'm not, with every passing day, I get less and less unhappy about the fact that he won MVP that year. 50 and a half is an absurd amount of responsibility. But but then at the same time, it only makes me appreciate LeBron in 2018 more. That's just crazy. So that's your random basketball fact of the day. Points responsible for Russell Westbrook, insane. Closing, closing notes, the NBA draft, I think, is next week. First overall pick will probably be Cade Cunningham, very versatile player. Um, very under control, good, good athleticism, good jump shot, good decision-making, good defense, like very well-rounded player can play the two, can play the three, can play the one very good player. But my son, my, my, my favorite, my, the chosen one that isn't LaMelo, my second favorite prospect ever, Jalen Green. Oh, my my son. I love Jalen Green. I love Jalen Green so, so, so much. So much. He, I saw him do this thing. It was absurd. When you're a, a high-level prospect, you can do whatever you want in a game, right? Because who's going to say no? You're going to go to the league anyway, right? There was one time in a game where Jalen Green's on a fast break. He bounces it off of the floor to himself as an oop, and he dunks the ball on the way up. And I was like, hold on now, player. What was that? He is on a fast break, throws the ball off the ground. He bounces it, catches it, Literally throws it in 
And as he throws it in, he has not descended yet. He's still going up as he throws it in. His hair is above the rim. Like, he he's flying, literally. It is insane. And I was like, I'm in. I'm in forever. <laughs> and it's just crazy. He's a very good shooter. He, I told Allie, right, my, my girlfriend, I told Allie that, hey, this is going to be our favorite basketball player. And she's like, why? I'm like, because he's Filipino. And she's like, okay, fine. That was, that's all it took. And I was like, yes, I can make her watch him with me. <laughs> I was like, that's all I needed. This is all I needed. Jalen Green is Filipino and black. Yes. So just like, just like our kids will be right. So <laughs> I was like, Hey, he's Filipino. And she's like, yay, cool. I'll watch. I'm like, let's go. It's all I needed to hear. Cause now she'll watch with me. Right. Jalen Green, he went to the he was on the G League Ignite team, so basically like that G League team where like they're like, hey, we're gonna make a path so the best high school players don't have to go to college, and they're like, sure. Um, he played well in the G League. He was playing against grown men, you know. He good jump shot, great athleticism. Uh, not the best passer. I think he only averaged like one and a half or less assists a game in the G League, so he's not a a playmaker so to speak he's just a elite level shot creator um he needs to tighten up his dribble he dribbles with his head down and and you know i know what i'm talking like i i know a lot about this kid because i watched like he had me watching g league games at 3 p.m on like a wednesday or like 1 p.m on a wednesday like i was following the g league on instagram for a while just because he was in it you know, I wanted to see everything he did. And I really wasn't disappointed. I was just like, hey, he's got some stuff to work on. He literally dribbles with his head down sometimes. So his dribble moves get a little more predictable. Um, he really, really wants to get past people. And he really, really wants to dunk on people. But he's also very, he settles a little too much for me. Like, I feel like he could force the issue into a pass, but he doesn't make good on time on target passes he just makes he can make good easy passes but like just something he needs to work on um he's not and he's kind of thin he's like he's kind of he's like six six but he's not like super built yet so he can get knocked off of his driving angle really easy with just a little bit of contact so he it so it's hard for him to turn the corner for him to get to the rim and show off the athleticism that he has but sometime in the weight room obviously the heavier you are the little slower you are and a little bit less verticality you get but he'll still be able to throw it down with the best of them his projection right now is looking like zach levine and i will take that i will take an all-star slam dunk contest champion who's good at shooting threes that's literally what he looks like you know um so yeah him excited for him um evan mobley out of usc he's gonna be really good for on D, he's gonna be really really good on defense um can stretch the floor a little bit um but he'll be primarily good for defense um Jalen Green sorry Jalen Suggs excuse me there's two Jalens right shout out Jalen Rose for paving the way for there being a billion Jalens because I'm not gonna lie to you kind of low-key thinking if I have a son or a dog and it's a boy I'm naming a Jalen just putting that out there maybe a middle name maybe just the whole name of the dog I don't know but I really like the name Jalen. Shout out Jalen Rose and his immaculate, immaculate haircuts. Um, Jalen Suggs is so interesting. He's so interesting, right? 
6-4, the best quarterback in the state of Minnesota and the best point guard in the state of Minnesota at the same time. Um, went to Gonzaga. The first time I ever saw him play was when it was the school he went to, Minnehaha. It's such a silly name, Minnehaha. Uh, they were playing Sierra Canyon on ESPN in the Target Center in Minnesota, and they sold out the building, and the Timberwolves hadn't even done that that year. But Sierra Canyon with Bronny, Zaire Wade, and Zaire Williams, and Brandon Boston versus Chet Holmgren and Jalen Suggs on the same team. And it was just crazy, right? And Jalen Suggs, I was like, this, this dude, he, he's a bucket getter. And he plays good defense, good decision-making. Um, you saw him have an incredible season with Gonzaga. Um, hit that shot against UCLA. I mean, I was like, I, I mean, I'm a fan of his. And I was like, dang, that's that John going in. And sure enough, show sure enough, it went in. But uh, he's a really good player. I feel like he'll be a really good point guard acquisition anywhere he goes. And he can hit some shots. He already has a really good he already has a good frame. Like, he's already strong. He's already quick, you know. Um, so, that won't be too much of a, of a, of a, he won't have to be in the weight room, but so much is, is what I'm trying to say. So, um, that's my just quick level thoughts on the four best prospects, I would say. Um, but the draft should be good. I'm really excited. I'm going to, I haven't bought an NBA jersey in a really long time, but I'm buying a Jalen Green jersey, like, the second I can. I am so so happy to see him in the league like just so happy um i didn't buy a lamello jersey because i was just like i want a black one and i was in the charlotte airport and they didn't have any i was like dang that's kind of sucky um but i'm gonna get a lamello jersey and i'm gonna get a i'm gonna get i'm gonna get me a Jalen green one i'm gonna get alley one too because bring him trust trust it's gonna be amazing i'm so excited to root for him i'm so excited for what's going on but hey Thank you for sticking with me, even though I've been on like a two month hiatus or however long it was. It was really refreshing, really good to be back, really good to just like tap back in. Uh, watching the playoffs was a was a blast. I loved it. Um, but just in general, just like thanks for sticking with me. Uh, I'll try to get back to more episodes. I have a lot of good ideas that I came up with in the meantime. But just in general, thanks. Thanks for tapping in. I hope you all stay safe. I hope you all, you know, enjoy yourselves, get to go outside, touch some grass, you know, see some family, see some friends, everything you got to do to stay refreshed, stay recharged. Um, hope you're all doing well. I'll catch you all next time.